This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Would you please turn with me to the book of Proverbs? It's a very, very short verse of Scripture to attempt to capture the heart of where we're going today. As we continue into this third week of the idea when life gives you lemons. We have looked at two different truths out of Scripture. The first being perseverance. That life gives us lemons. There's no way around it. There's no uh, if and buts about it. It's just a matter of when life throws something at us that is unexpected, that's sour, that doesn't fit our groove of life. And we have to choose whether we deal with it or we allow it to overtake us, right? So we figured out from the beginning, Scripture all throughout is all about perseverance, persevering to the end, run the race of endurance that you will be rewarded the prize. We continue in this life, this spiritual life. It's all about persevering to the end that one day we spend eternity with Jesus. But as we persevere and as we endure, we do everything we can to gather us a crowd of people in the kingdom to take with us. And then we looked at last week the idea of following. And I told you in the midst of chaos, if you're the the victim, if you're the one in the middle of the chaos, you need direction. If there's a crisis moment, an accident scene, it's, it's utter chaos until somebody shows up on the scene to give some leadership and some direction for that moment. And when life gives us lemons, when we're in the middle of a lemon moment, we need direction. We need some guidance. We need instruction. And God's given us all the instruction that we could need. The question is whether we choose to follow or whether we choose to sit in disarray, and in in utter chaos. He's called us to follow him. Today I want to look at the idea, after we decide to persevere, after we accept the idea of following and finding the word, and following that word out in that moment, what it looks like to walk it out in faithfulness. Because when we look at perseverance, And then we look at following, those two together would be faithfulness, right? If you're going to persevere, you're going to push through, you're going to go to the end, that would mean that you're sticking it out. And then if you're sticking it out in a moment that you're actually doing something, you're being faithful, it would be faithfulness. Faithfulness is the act of being faithful. Faithfulness would mean Loyal, consistent, and steadfast. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20. I want to read you this short verse of Scripture, this proverb. The Bible says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. A faithful man will abound with blessings. 
A faithful man will abound with blessings. I'm not stuck on repeat. There's a whole lot of meat to that sentence. A faithful man will abound with blessings. It does not say a faithful man abides with blessings. It does not say a faithful man already abounds with blessings. It does not say a faithful man is exceedingly blessed. The Word of God says that a blessed man will abound with blessings. You with me? I started thinking about faithfulness, and I thought back through the Word of God, and I tried to think of some men that we could look at that have been faithful. We look at Noah. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. In fact, the Bible says that he was the only righteous man in the time. And God comes up with this thought process when he saw what he created was no good. He said, I'm going to wipe out all of humanity. I'm going to wipe out all of creation. But you, Noah, because you found favor with God, you get to live through it. And your family that joins you in this journey gets to live throughout. It's never rained. You know the story. It doesn't make any sense. God says, hey, Noah, you're going to build a really, really, really big boat. I know you don't really know what that even is at the moment, but you're going to build this big boat, and I'm going to send the animals, and you're going to all load up. You're going to have animals not only for you to eat, but you're going to have animals that are going to come off later to reproduce and populate all the earth. Your family is going to be the only people left standing in the end of this. And when they're left standing, when they're left alive, your people will be the ones to populate the earth. Build a boat. And we could talk about the faithfulness of Noah as he took ridicule and as he took all the persecution and the, the struggles as he's doing something that doesn't even make sense to these people. Who do you think you are that God would speak to you, that he would tell you he's going to send a flood, that he's going to wipe out all creation? How do you even know God put us here in the first place, but yet you say, and he's going to take us out? You keep building your boat, Noah. You're crazy. And he makes it all through the process, and finally he gets the boat built, and God sends the animals, and then God shuts the door. Sometimes in life, we need God to shut some doors. Some people we don't need on our boat. Some situations aren't meant for us to walk into. We need God to shut some doors. And so it starts raining. And it rained for 40 days. And then after it rained, they sit on top of a mountain for 150 days. As if the rain wasn't enough. You talk about, I'm sorry, I think it probably stunk. I think I'd have been tired of eating whatever was on that boat. Faithfulness? They didn't kill each other. Right? I love family vacations, but... Much more than about a week, and I'm, I'm done. We sure ain't going to sit in a boat for 40 days while it rains outside. Pastor Jonathan talking about earlier 
He don't like the rain and is gloomy and doomy. And God bless you for being here today. When I woke up this morning, I thought, man, going to be one of those days. People are going to think that the church ain't going to be hot because it's raining and nasty outside. Not only are they stuck in the boat, they're stuck in the rain. And then they're stuck on a mountaintop where they can't get out of the boat. And it ended up for about 200 days. They stayed in the ark. Faithfulness. Because of Noah's faithfulness, his family made it out. And every time we see a rainbow, I don't see pride. I see the faithfulness and the mercy of God. And it all goes back to this story of this man who had no sense but built a boat. So then we move on to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Father Abraham, I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Abraham wanted a son. God, give me a son. Lord, I, I want a son. And God made a promise. Some of y'all sitting on these pews think you're too old to do anything. The dude was 100 years old when God fulfilled the promise and gave him a son. I'm a young man, but my boy wears me out. 100 years. He's 100 years old and God fulfills the promise and gives him a son. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for giving me this son. Thank you for fulfilling the promise. And a few years go by, and I love watching my babies grow, and McCaden is 100% boy. I love it. I love watching the way his little brain works and the things that he does, and I'm loving watching them grow up. And Abraham has watched Isaac grow up to the point that, that he's a young, a young boy, just maybe a young teenage boy, 10 or 12 years old, and God said, hey, I need you to take Isaac to the top of the mountain. And you're going to give him back to me. What do you mean I'm going to give him back to you? It's time to sacrifice. I fulfilled my promise. I gave you a son. Didn't tell you how long you were going to keep your son. But I gave you the blessing. Now give it back. Maybe I'm too human. Maybe I'm, I'm too fleshly. That's a struggle. The promises of God are, are so good. We've sang about it this morning that everything he is, everything he does is good. Everything he is is kind. His promises, his blessings are so good. The last thing I want to do is give them up. They pack up. They start heading up the mountain. And you know that Abraham was obedient. You should know the story probably where he drew back his arm to take the life of his boy. And an angel of the Lord stopped it. Talk about a lemon. Genesis 22, verse 16. 
says, this is what the Lord says, because you've obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name, I'll certainly bless you. I'll multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Abraham was given a lemon. I don't want that lemon. But because of his faithfulness, he was rewarded. So we move on to Joseph. And we talked about Joseph a little bit recently, but Joseph was the favorite. He received that famous coat of many colors that we talk about because he was the favorite. His brothers despised him. He was hated. That in itself is a lemon. To have family discord is a lemon. Amen? To have, have struggles, to have issues within the family is a life lemon. But that wasn't all. They try to kill him, and then they sell him into slavery. That's a big lemon. So he manages to be purchased, and he starts working in the palace, then he's accused of rape. Lemon after lemon after lemon. Then he's thrown into prison. And it's through his faithfulness in these seasons, through these life lemons, through these crises, that God uses him to be elevated to a place in the, the kingdom where he's in charge of everything. He was stripped of everything he had. He was thrown in a hole, put in a well to die. Oh, wait, we won't let him die. These guys are coming by. We'll just sell him. Sold into, sold into slavery, accused of rape. Everything he had was stripped from him. Now because of his faithfulness, he's got it all. Not only does he have it all, he's turning around and blessing the ones that stripped him of everything he had in the first place. But where I really got to through this process of faithfulness was Job. Poor Job. The Bible talks about Job, and I'm going to walk through this whole book just a little bit. I promise it's only going to take a couple hours. I'm just kidding. In case you want to know, if you open up your Bible app and you listen to the book of Job, you can listen to the entire book two times faster than normal, and you can finish it in about an hour. It's amazing what you can do. You read along with it, you're reading and listening. Just a discipleship tidbit for you. The Bible says that there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. The Bible even gets specific to tell us his possessions. We not only know that he was a man that feared God, he was not only the righteous man, a man blameless. I don't know about you men, but I want to live to a place where I could be called blameless. I'm not there. Blameless in the sight of God. And 
The Bible gives us clear description of his possessions. He, the writer goes on and says he had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest man, the richest person in that entire area. That's important to know what he had because he lost it all. I don't really understand how this all works, but the Bible says that one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan decided to join them. There's a bad apple in every bunch. Satan decided to join the worshipers coming to present themselves before the Lord. The New Living Translation calls him the accuser, Satan. I think it's important sometimes that we understand that Satan is the accuser. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Because so many times our life really isn't as bad as what we want to think it is. We're just allowing the enemy to accuse us of all this junk that we're really not. He's the accuser. But he shows up and God's like, what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? See, this is where we kind of get messed up in our own life. We think that we're just walking around, hanging out in what we see and what we hear. But Satan says, I've been patrolling the earth. I've been patrolling the earth. The accuser has not stopped patrolling the earth, family. He has not stopped looking for whom he could steal from, kill, and destroy. He's not stopped looking for who he can tear down. He's not stopped looking for the one that he could put down and make you think that you're no good and you're worthless and you're useless. He's patrolling the earth. He said, I've been watching everything that's going on. I don't want to be Job. Because the Lord says, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan said, of course I have, but you're protecting him. He said, fine. I would love to hear this conversation between God and Satan about Job. He says, okay, I'll take down my protection. You do anything you want, just don't physically touch him. And if you look at your Bible, it probably don't have these cool little brackets like mine does because I put them there. God literally gave Satan permission to test Job. That means that every lemon that's in your life isn't a lemon that's straight from Satan without permission from God. Sometimes the lemons that were handed have been directly, that they've been passed right through the hand of God. Everything that happens is happening because God's allowing it to happen. 
Not only that, God brought him up. He said, have you noticed my servant Job? I said, I don't want to be Job, but in reality, my spirit man wants to be that guy. I want to have it together enough. I want to be blameless in life enough that God would look down, and of all the earth, everywhere Satan's patrolled, he would say, have you noticed that guy? And Satan said, yeah, I did. Has Satan noticed you? Are we doing enough damage for the kingdom that Satan actually has noticed us? Yeah, I noticed him, but I can't touch him. He said, test him. So I got four different events that took place. Beginning in verse 13. See, Job was the kind of guy that he wanted his family to be blameless like him to the point that when they go off and party, they'd go off and have these big feasts. Job would set up sacrifices, and he would sacrifice on behalf of everybody in his family. He was doing his very best to to keep that household in order, to keep them in line. He would sacrifice on behalf of their sin. They said, one day when Job's son and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the the Sabaeans raided us, they stole the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. That's no big deal. I'm a rich man. The richest in the area, actually. I'll just replace them. But while that guy's speaking, another messenger arrives with the news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. The fire of God fell from heaven and destroyed the sheep and the shepherds of Job. That's a lemon, and it's not a lemon that even came from Satan. It says the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed the sheep and the shepherds. Well, fine, I'll replace them. But no, because the third event takes place. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrives. This news that says, the band of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels, killed your servants. I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. If I were Job, I think I'd start scratching my head just a little bit. But that really wasn't the worst. Because the fourth guy shows up. Verse 18 says, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. That doesn't even make sense to me. I've tried to process that this week. Explain to me how it came from the wilderness. This is the wilderness The same place that the Spirit took Jesus to be tempted. Out of that wilderness, out of the place that the children of Israel wandered for 40 years, out of the wilderness, the place of unknown, comes this wind of life, and somehow it not not, not only tears down the house, the Bible says it hits the house on all sides. How does that happen? I've seen a lot of straight-line winds. I've seen the results of some tornadoes. Wind can only blow one direction at a time. Even a tornado going in a circle, when it hits that house, it hits it on one side, it hits that broad side, and tears it down. 
So now fire has fallen from heaven. The fire of God has fallen from heaven, consumed the sheep and the shepherds. And now a wind from the wilderness has come and blown down the house from all four sides. Job's got some lemons. And somehow he responds like this. Verse 20, what he said, I said, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord's taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. The Bible says in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Did y'all hear that? All I know is Job's a strong man. Because when life hands us a lemon, the easiest thing for us to do is look at the place the lemon come from and throw up our hand and blame him. God, I'm a child of yours. I'm part of the family of God. How are you handing me this situation? How are you allowing me to hold this situation and go through this moment? It's your fault I'm struggling with this. He says, in all of this, he didn't sin by blaming God. Then there's another day. Because he made some lemonade out of that day, and he moved on past it. Lost everything he had, but there's another day because Satan won't get off our back. And he shows back up again, and God said, what are you doing here? He said, I've been patrolling the earth, looking at everything going on. And he says, have you noticed my servant Job? I think that was an I told you so moment for God to Satan to say, hey, you know, you thought you could take him out. You thought he would turn on me, but he didn't. Have you noticed my servant Job? He says, yeah, I can take everything away from him, but you won't let me have his life. If you allow me to physically harm him, I promise he'll deny you to your face. God said, try it. Big boils come up on Job. Physically was sick. He was hurting. He was in pain. Says that he found clay jars and he scraped his skin. He struggled. Even his wife looked at him in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, so Satan, uh, or verse 9, I'm sorry, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Sometimes the people that you love are going to be the ones that try to push you over the edge the fastest. Sometimes the people we love are the ones that push us over the edge the fastest. But even in all of this, the Bible says, so in all this, Job did nothing wrong. And so three friends show up. The Bible said they sat on the ground with him for seven days because of the pain and the agony he was in because of his condition. And finally, he starts yelling out. He starts talking in agony, and he's talking out of hurt. Sometimes we need to shut up instead of talking out of hurt. Sometimes we have to sit on the other side of the fence and realize when somebody is talking, they're only talking out of their hurt. I've had to learn we can't be offended by every moment, by every situation, because there's so many times when we're communicating out of our hurt. It doesn't make it right. 
I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you there's a place we have to get to as brothers and sisters where we understand I hurt. And in my weak moment, I might communicate to you something out of that hurt. You hurt. And in that moment, you're going to communicate something that is not truly who you are in your character. You're communicating out of the hurt. And then this dialogue takes place between Job and these three friends. And we don't have to read all 38 of these chapters if you don't want to. But they are very interesting. Because the friends are being like typical friends that you and I would have. And they're saying, if you'd quit sinning, God wouldn't be doing this to you. If you weren't doing that, if you weren't trying to be that person, if you would get off your high horse, God wouldn't be punishing you. And Job knew in his heart he's blameless. He's blameless in the sight of God. Stop telling me what I've done to make this happen. And on Job's side of the argument, he says, you know what, God? Just kill me now. I cursed the day I was born. If I'd have never been born, this couldn't happen. Why, can't I, why couldn't I be a stillborn? Read the word. Why couldn't I be a stillborn? Why did I have to come into this life in the first place? Why did you bring me in to let me make it to this point of agony? He's holding a lemon. And in the moment of crisis, he needs some direction. He's persevered. It says he did no wrong in blaming God. Whenever the, the boils come on his, his body, it says he still did no wrong in the sight of God. This argument takes place, and I think sometimes God sits back and lets us have the dialogue. I'm going to read this to you, and it is long, but I think that you and I need to understand the God we serve and how small we are. See, in verse 38, the Lord finally speaks. It says, the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Talk about a slap in the face. God might, might as well have told him, hey, sit down and be quiet and listen. Brace yourself like a man because I got some questions for you, buddy, and you got to answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who, what, what supports its foundation and laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? I would have already at that point kind of sunk down in my seat and put my head down. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries and burst from the womb as it, cloud, as it clothed, as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, and said, This far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath the seal if it is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that's raised in violence. He said, have you explored 
the spring from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know the gates of death? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? Of course you know all this. For you were born and it was all created. And you were so very experienced. When I read this and when I I thought about this, God is getting extremely sarcastic with Job. He's putting him in his place. Tell me, buddy. Do you know where the darkness goes? Do you know where light has its home? Have you visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for time of trouble, the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where's the home of the east wind? Who created the channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for lightning? You ever thought about the fact that there's actually a path been laid out for lightning? I see it lightning in the sky. I hear thunder roar. Never really took the time to think about God had a plan for every strike of lightning that's ever hit this earth. That's intense. Who sends the rain to satisfy the parched ground to make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who's the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice and hard as a rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster? The cluster of Thaddeus or loosed in the court of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into the clods? Can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thickets? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wonder in hunger? I'm going to let you finish reading chapter 39. Every aspect of creation has been organized and structured and planned by God. Who in the world am I to think that I know what's best for my life? The fact that there's a lioness in Africa right now who needs something to eat and God's already stalked that that meal for her and set it up and put it in place and give her the intuition of the mind so that she can go and get it and feed her babies A God that cares that much? Who am I to think I know what needs to happen with my living? Faithfulness.
Life gives us lemons. We talked a little bit about the ingredients. The lemon itself be in the situation, the struggle, our experiences of life. Water itself be in the life that you and I have been given. You know, we didn't have to have this. I mean, the God that said, hey, ocean, your proud waves are going to stop right there. He sure enough didn't have to give life to this guy. But a faithful man will abound with blessings. I don't deserve life. I can't earn life. But I've got it. And then there's the struggles. I don't know what they are. I don't know what's coming. I kind of hope that my struggles are going to come from the accuser looking around and saying, man, that's one bad dude and he's making a difference and I got to do something about it. That's my prayer for our life. Is that the enemy would look at me and I would deal with lemons. I'd be juggling lemons. I don't want lemons, but if I got to have them, I want to juggle them because I'm making a difference for the kingdom. Whatever it is that gives us the lemon, whatever the problem is, it's going into our life. There's no way around it. See, some of y'all filter out all the seeds and some of y'all get all this the junk out, but I'm going to tell you next week why your lemonade needs some seeds in it. There's no way now that I can separate my lemons from my life. I told you that already. They're designed to be a part of who we are. Our life is supposed to now taste like lemons. I got scars. I have emotional scars. I've got emotional baggage. I have junk in my trunk that has to go with me from what I've been through in life. If you don't, you haven't been anywhere. The way that we've moved around, my garage is still slammed full of Junk, and it's been cleaned out one time. Boxes that hadn't been unpacked in two years. That are baggage from what life has taken us through. Life's given us lemons. We have decided to persevere. You found the recipe, you followed the recipe, you've trusted the recipe. Sugar, though, represents the spirit in our life. That I don't want to drink. I like water. I, I like some lemon in my water, but I'm not about to squeeze six or eight lemons in a pitcher of water and just start chugging it. 
But if you'll add the blessing of the Holy Spirit to my life, and you'll add the healing, and you'll allow God to to reveal himself in those moments, we can mix all that up. We can combine and we can take our, our lemons of life and we can allow the Holy Spirit to, to pierce them. We can allow the Spirit to integrate with them. We can allow God to show us them some, some stuff about ourselves, some purification, some cleaning that needs to take place. I told you that a lemon ha- has this really sour taste and it's used for, for cooking, but there is a cleaning property to it. There's a purification. There is a preserving property to it. If I allow the Holy Spirit to come in and move, if I allow God to work in my situation, I'll put God in my life. I allow God to be an integral part of the life. The lemons don't taste so bad anymore. Instead, the lemons have now made something that is refreshing. The lemons have made something that's good. They've made something that that will satisfy me on a day when I'm thirsting after something. The lemon itself sure is not going to satisfy my thirst. But when I integrate God in the middle of life, he's going to satisfy me as I hunger and thirst after the righteousness. That lemonade's always better the next day. Right? It's always better the next day. And if I put it in the fridge... And I keep it cold. For lack of better words, if I'm faithful with what I've been given, it's always better the next day. If I allow God to move in those situations, I'm willing to take the lemons of life and use them as experiences, learning moments. And I allow God to be a part of that situation. And I remain faithful. That's some good lemonade. See, it wasn't enough that Job had to lose the oxen and the donkeys. That was a really bad lemon, and he pushed through that. But it got worse whenever he lost the sheep and the shepherds. Now we're not talking about animals anymore. Now we're not talking about just livestock that can be replaced. Now we're talking about people that are involved. And he took those lemons and he dealt with them and he moved on. And so the next lemons were even bigger. Because every lemon that we get, every trial, every struggle, every problem, as we're faithful in this one, the Bible says if you're faithful with the little ones, you're going to be faithful with the bigger ones. Right? The lemon that I'm dealing with tomorrow and the lemon that's going to come at me over the next couple weeks, it might hit me before I make it home today, is going to be worse than the lemon I dealt with a year ago. There's no question in my mind. But I'm stronger. And I'm wiser. I'm bolder. Because I've been faithful. Those lemons. My lemonade tastes pretty good because I've been faithful. I promise 
after the flood waters receded for Noah, when he sent the dove out, he did get to get out of the boat. He did. And God provided everything he needed for them to do life and to start life all over again. I believe that after that time in that boat, when they walked out, they were a stronger family than they ever had been before they got on it. Walk through a trial with your family, and if your family will be persevere, persevering, they'll, they'll walk with perseverance, and they'll follow instruction of the Lord, and they'll be faithful. I promise your family will be stronger on the, on the backside of it than they were when they walked into it. When Joseph walked through all of these trials of life, his life was blessed beyond measure. That faithful man, at that point in his life, abounded with blessings. Abraham became Father Abraham that had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham because of his faithfulness and his obedience. Your lemonade don't have to be sour. We take life and we allow God to be integrated into that. Every moment, every struggle, every trial. We remain faithful. The Bible doesn't say that because of your faithfulness you already abound in blessings, but it says the faithful man will abound with blessings. I stand on the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. And I believe that it's, if it says that I'm faithful, and if I'm faithful, I will abound. That might not mean today. I'm blessed beyond measure. But maybe not the blessing that I may see that I think that I need or I think that I want. Maybe not the blessing through this situation. But it, it says that if I'm faithful, I will abound with blessings. Father, I love you, Lord. God, we know that the accuser is out patrolling the earth, seeking whom he may devour, Lord, trying to find somebody. God, I hope and pray today that maybe our lives are getting to a place where we would be the one that catches Satan's attention. That we would be the one that would be blameless in the sight of God. That we would fear you and we would, uh, we would stray from evil, God. God, when life gives us lemons, we understand that we've got to persevere. We understand, Father, you've given us your word. You've given us clear direction. You're speaking to us through people. You're speaking to us through your word. You're speaking to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, you're giving us direction we have to choose to follow. But after we make that decision to follow you, we then have to choose to be faithful. We have to choose to be loyal, to be constant in that, that choice, constant in that decision. We have to be loyal to the decision that we're going to follow you. We have to make you an integral part of all of our life, knowing that, God, when we mix you and, our, and, and your spirit into our life with the lemons of life, it makes something so good, something refreshing, something sweet, something with some flavor, something to remind us what we've been through, something to remind us of our struggle. God, but we need to be faithful. We stand on your word today believing, God, as we're faithful, you're going to reward us.
Your word never fails. Your word is true. And the truth for us today is that a faithful man will, will abound with many blessings. It may not be in this moment. It may not be in this season. It may not be in this time that we see the fruit of our faithfulness. God, but as we're faithful, you will pour out your blessings. God, I pray we'd be faithful with our attitudes today. We'd be faithful with our emotions. We'd be faithful with our, our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines of reading your word and spending time with you in prayer. God, we'd be faithful with our families that we would steward the time that we're given together. That we would do our best to, to make that time meaningful. That we would do our best to make that time what you would have it to be. God, that we steward the resources that you've given us. God, every good and perfect gift comes from you and everything that we have belongs to you. You've simply lent it for us, lent it to us, God, for, for our life and for your ministry. I pray that we'd be faithful with those things. God, maybe we need to start with the small lemons to be faithful, Lord. I pray that as we're faithful with those small lemons, as the bigger ones come, God, you continue to strengthen us that we're faithful with the big things. God, life's going to give us lemons, and we accept that today. And I pray, God, that our faithful, our faithfulness remains strong, God, that our faith remains strong in you and who you are. I thank you, Lord. God, I pray blessings on your people. As you've given us another beautiful day, God, it may be raining outside, but we understand how great you are. We can't understand where that rain comes from. We don't have the authority to tip over the water jar of heaven, but you do. We realize our place today. We realize how small we are. God, we give you our life, and we'll remain faithful to you. I pray that you bless us, God, that you bring us back again. God, as we prepare this week for this fall festival, as we prepare to minister, God, I pray that you give us strength and wisdom to push on, give us endurance. Father, you give us the people that you want us to be able to minister to. I thank you, Lord. I pray you bless our families, those that have needs in the house today, those that are connected to this family that need a touch from you. I pray that you bless them in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.